0: Today on the Almost Awakened podcast, we're going to be talking about the topic of sex, specifically how to negotiate sex in a relationship responsibly. The episode centers around a post that I wrote up and placed on our Reddit Almost Awakened subreddit. So if you go to Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T, And look for the subreddit Almost Awakened, or you can just go to almostawakened.org, find this episode, and in the show notes will be a link to the post. It might be a good idea to read that post before this episode, but I think the episode will make perfect sense without it. So now, on to the Almost Awakened podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Bill. And I'm Mikkel. And we are excited to have you on, uh, enjoying this podcast with us, Mikkel. Today we're talking about sex. Um, what do you think?
1: I think it's. Oh, I have mixed feelings, but I think it's going to be good.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited about the conversation. Um, was making a few little notes. This all started. I put a, po- a post out on uh, our Reddit forum that talks about how to, how to. Have sexual differences, like you and your partner have sexual differences, me and my partner have sexual differences, and to talk about how to act kind of responsibly. um, I want to talk first, like, there's first half of life and second half of life sexuality. And in first half life of sexuality, most of us believe there's appropriate rules to how we navigate sex. And I was just telling my wife last night, like, I in parts of me, I thought parts of me were bad and broken. And it wasn't, it wasn't even appropriate to have the conversation. So I would like hide parts of myself and not even have the conversation because there was risk of my culture telling me that I was bad. And there was also risk of my wife going along with that culture, adding shame and guilt. Um, Your thoughts kind of first half of life, how sex worked for you.
1: Yeah, the same. Um, grew up in a super strict household. So one, sex was never talked about. And if it was, the only context in which it was talked about was negatively. Um, I often heard my parents arguing about sex um, late at night, you know, when I was supposed to be sleeping. And um, so everything that I had ever learned or everything that I had ever heard about sex was, one, don't have it till you're married. And anything before that is bad. And it was never okay to explore your own sexuality and figure out um, where you fit and what, what worked for you and just understanding how your own body worked. And so, yeah, just part of that was my family culture. Part of that was my religious culture. And part of that, too, was um, societal um, ideas about sex.
0: Yeah. So the first half of life, I go along with what I'm supposed to do to a T, Um, and, and there wasn't any room. So even if I'm masturbating, like I don't tell my wife because that's going to bring shame and guilt. And I certainly am essentially being secret about it. Um, pornography is another thing that from time to time that I would uh, find myself viewing and I knew immediately, like my culture wasn't going to be okay with that, especially within this religious system that we were in. And my wife, because she's also raised in that religious system, wasn't going to be able to handle that in a healthy way either. Nor right. did I even understand it in a healthy way. And, and then second half of life, at some point in deconstructing my system, I realized that the rules that the system had put in place were bullshit. Right. And the moment I realized the rules in, in the system were bullshit, I went back and started deconstructing how we came to get the rules that we have within our society at large and realize that for the most part, they're winging it too, they're bullshit, and they're made to keep us kind of all in line, uh, and in some ways, doing some of the same things that our high-demand fundamentalist religious system did, in that the the rules and the guidelines were designed to kind of keep us down and not, not have us thinking for ourselves and not have us uh, getting to the point where we start to deconstruct and untangle the ways our society was put together. Like things work best if everybody follows and I wanted to stop following. I wanted to start understanding how we got to this place. But as I read about human history and as I examined how we, how we changed and shifted over the last 200,000 years, it became clear that we didn't have to play by the rules that were out there. We could create different rules. And so I want to start first by asking you about conversation if a couple's out there and they're listening or one partner's out here listening and and he wants to go back or she wants to go back and have this conversation inside their their relationship, talk for a moment about how important it is, what what it means to have a safe conversation and how important that is. So I think I think
1: that is kind of the foundation of any conversation is you, you both have to feel safe enough to approach the conversation, but even that can be tricky. And so for, for me, it's been i you know, for Kelsey and I, it's been A matter of us owning our own feelings rather than projecting them onto each other. Um, So, for example, if we're going to have a conversation that we know is tricky or difficult, um, I I can't shame her for what she's thinking or what she's feeling. And I can't shame myself for what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. And so approaching the conversation from that mutual respect and giving each other space to Say and feel and talk about whatever it is. um, I think is going to be key in navigating conversations about sex, but in navigating conversations in general.
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I'm thinking about like why this subject is so difficult. And my wife and I were just talking yesterday morning about this. I, I like to think of it as a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum is the more conservative partner. On the other end of the spectrum is the more liberal partner. And, and you might switch roles depending on what topic of sexuality we're talking about. So maybe one partner has a more conservative view on pornography, and the other partner has a more conservative view on masturbation, for instance. And, and I'll probably use those two examples throughout. But this could be anything from monogamy um, to sex toys to uh, what are other things kind of in this sexuality?
1: Open relationships, um, just like you said, anything. It can be anything because there's so much um, shame tied to sexuality and sex. It it could be a variety of different things.
0: Right. And so on this spectrum, if you have on, for let's pick an issue, pornography. On one uh, partner is going to be the more conservative. So they're on one end and the other partner is more liberal. They're on the other end. And both partners want uh, want this thing to look a certain way because that's where they're comfortable, that's where they feel safe, that's where they want to explore and have adventure, whatever it is. And so now you have this middle ground, which is where you're going to negotiate. And maybe one partner doesn't feel that strongly and they're willing to come all the way over, but that's very rare. There's almost always this tension where the more conservative partner doesn't want to move to to doing something new or different. And then the more liberal partner... Is feeling really uh, closed down, not uh, unable to express themselves, unable unable to be them, their fullest self, and so now you have this middle ground where you, where you need to negotiate. And you need to figure out if one person can lean into an uncomfortable space without without being damaged or hurt or traumatized, and if the other partner can compromise what it is they think is their ideal, and and essentially find some space where both are giving a little. Um, maybe maybe one side is even giving a lot, but where both sides feel like, okay, I can do this and it's working. And yes, maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but it, it seems less uncomfortable as we go. And it, it really becomes um, a, a crucial conversation that I think takes place in all other avenues of a relationship, but is really difficult uh, in this subject of sex. Uh, what are your thoughts on negotiating?
1: So it's interesting um, in... You know, I've talked a couple of times about the book, uh, The Ethical Slut, and this book is such a good book. I recommend anybody read it because it does help you navigate some of those tricky parts of um, discussing sex with your partner. Um, and and one of the things that it talks about is this activity that you do with your partner to figure out even where you are at and where your partner's at. And so in the activity, they suggest each of you write down um, a list of things that are totally acceptable, things that um, are totally unacceptable, and then you come together and you talk about the things on your list and you find out where, where the compromise is. Um, because I think that there are things, like you said, where one partner is completely conservative, the other is completely liberal, but you're never going to know where each other stand or where each other are at unless you have a conversation about it. And I think I, I liked this activity because you're you're doing it apart from each other, and then you're coming together and finding out where are some of the commonalities, where can we give a little bit, and where, where is there room to negotiate. I think negotiating is tricky because it can be easy for one person to try and manipulate the other so that they get what they want. And um, so it, again, goes back to respecting each other and being willing to talk about things without shame and judgment.
0: Yeah, really good. I, I know that when it comes to manipulating, I'm certainly guilty of having done that myself in the past. The, the two things I like to think of when I, when I think about negotiating, uh, first off, respect, right? like Both sides have to respect the other's stance and ground and wants and desires and wishes, To the point where neither side shames or guilts the other.
1: I think can be kind of tricky because we all want what we want. And so not, you know, manipulating to me goes back to not trying to make the other person feel bad for you so that you then get what you want. Um, And so it it becomes super important to be in charge of and responsible for your own feelings and not trying to... um, twist things to make the other person feel bad for what they're thinking and feeling.
0: Yeah. And it helps me if I, if I try to, from the very get go, understand, look, my wife wants, desires, needs, her sense of self-security, her sense of safety, uh, the things that she wants to do that I don't have an interest in. Like, just because it's different than the way I show up doesn't make it bad it's it's just another human being showing up as a human in a way that's different but all humans show up different from each other and so if if i can start from the base ground and my wife can start from the base ground that neither one of us is bad in what we want neither one of us is wrong in what we want we simply are two different humans showing up differently and if we can honor each other is like look i understand your needs wants desires your sense of security, sense of safety, those things are all valid and and everything is something you deserve in the terms of like every human has the the right to ask for what they need and what they want. And then if she can respect me from that same perspective and, and say like, look, he's not bad either. These are just two people who have a difference and, and now we need to figure out how we both give up something and get something and, and both can live with that end uh, agreement. And and it's always changing too, to recognize like things may change. Somebody may try something and it may not be beneficial and they may end up saying like that didn't work. And so then you have to reevaluate it. So the first one is that respect, no shame or guilt. Right. The second one you said, which is negotiating versus manipulating negotiating is both sides asking for what they need, trying to find compromise but also understanding that either side at any point can say, I can't do that. And then while we like to think in relationships it can be a win-win, and sometimes it is, sometimes you have to choose between pushing for what you want or essentially maybe the relationship even has to come to an end. Like you look at your, your relationship with Kelsey. I look at my relationship with Amanda. I love my wife. I don't wanna be without her. But for some people out there, if the needs are so significant, um, that they that it's so important to them to have those needs met, you have a right to that, but you don't have a right to uh, impose that your current partner give you those things. And so you're free to always leave a relationship. But, but my hope is that we can find ways to negotiate in ways that both sides feel happy and feel some uh, sense of fulfillment while also understanding they're giving up things. Uh, because I think I think ending a relationship should, in a sense, be a last resort anyway. Yeah. Um, manipulating for me too, Mikhail, like If one side does think the other side is bad or wrong or has to move, uh, it, it becomes way too easy to begin adding shame and guilt and to try mm-hmm. to manipulate people. Um, somebody once said, "Like nobody deserves anything. Your partner doesn't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything." You're just trying to figure out the way that two different humans who love each other can get along and have their needs met as best as possible.
1: I, yeah, I agree. I don't think that it's fair to um, expect that we deserve one thing um, more than another and vice versa, that our partner deserves one thing more than another. It's just the the conversation around this is so fascinating. Um, we were talking to some friends last night, Bill, who said, said kind of the same thing the first 20 20 years of their marriage they never talked about sex they never talked about what each other needed or what each other wanted or what what they felt was acceptable or not acceptable and and so what is it do you think that you know I think leaving a religious system one is a huge um, factor in starting to navigate the conversation. But what do you think it is on this half of life that causes us to start having the conversation about sex in the first place? You and Amanda have been married for 20 some years. And, yeah. you know, again, I think part of it is the religious system, but put that aside, what else, what else is it?
0: So on the first half, my mom and dad told me what was right and wrong. My, my, uh, awareness of like what was going on in society and seeing certain, uh, segments of society. So for instance, in the age that I grew up in the 1980s, homosexuality, for instance, was super bad. And so if somebody had the wants and needs of either being bisexual or homosexual, they felt a lot of pressure from their society and from their families to conform and to give up those pieces of themselves uh, in order to fit in. When you get to the second half, you start to realize, like, oh, this was one way in which we could put the world together, and a lot of the things that I thought were bad weren't bad. I've gotten to the point, Mikkel, where I where I stop thinking in terms of bad and good. I start thinking in terms of healthy and unhealthy, responsible and irresponsible, and and that makes any possibility not necessarily good and not necessarily bad, but instead now has to be placed in the context of how others feel and how others are experiencing that particular. Um, I I find it to be a healthier way to do things. If we label things bad and good, often, and and there are exceptions to the rule, um, but often that's, that's an inappropriate way to view things because that already starts off with shame and guilt.
1: Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That was something that Kelsey and I learned when we were in counseling is this, idea of healthy versus unhealthy, but I like the responsible versus irresponsible as well. And I think that it just, it's a good way to have conversations, um, because it eliminates that shame and guilt and it allows you to, um, talk about things, um, in a healthier, in a healthier way. I, I really like that.
0: How do, how do you and Kels negotiate? Like, what's that look like?
1: It's a process. In fact, last night we were having a conversation about the podcast and and Kelsey was concerned about what we were going to be talking about. And her idea of what we were going to be talking about was different than what I was thinking this conversation was going to look like. And so she was feeling some tension and um, we were up till probably one o'clock trying to figure out um, where we stand. And I think it's an ongoing conversation and it's a conversation that, like you said earlier, changes depending on what's happening in the relationship. So I it, it it's tricky, um, but in our conversation last night, both of us were feeling um, poked a little bit and Feeling some things, and so it's it was a matter of us both just sitting with each other and giving each other permission to feel what we we were feeling, while at the same time honoring what the other person what you know what the other person had been talking about, and um, just having respect for each other. We're we're good this morning. It was a good conversation. Um, I feel like it brought us closer together, even though there was some tension last night. Um, but the we have to have the conversation. Denying that the feelings that we have and the wants and the desires that we have don't exist is worse than having the conversation.
0: Yeah. And I think that's part of it. When you asked earlier, like what happens in the second half of life, I think you come to a place where you just don't want to conform anymore. You want to be you and you want to be you to the fullest expression that you can without causing hurt and damage in the wake of that.
1: Right which I think is tricky because you've done things a certain way for so long and then to come to your partner and say hey like this is what I believe or this is what I feel and I've always felt this can sometimes cause a lot
0: of hurt. Yeah, we had that yesterday morning. So my wife is coming from this space of look, we've always done it this way. It seems like you were fine with it for for all these years and now suddenly you're you're letting me know that you want something different. And it makes, when that happens, and that's again, that's just the way we humans do this thing in the first half, it it leaves a space for the more conservative spouse to think the behavior is new or bad, when in reality, I'd been conforming my entire marriage to what she needed to feel safe and because I thought my wants and needs were bad. And so it was eye-opening for her. She sat with it yesterday morning. And for what I felt like was the first time we're having this conversation in this real way where I'm saying, look, baby, I've always been this way. I've always wanted or needed or had these desires. And, and, and you didn't know that because I conformed and I protected you, but I've always been wrestling with my insides, trying to figure out like, how do I do this responsibly and, and how much of me can I be without hurting you? And and she for the first time because again the conversation is essentially happening for the first time she for the first time is going like oh you've always had wants and needs that are different than mine and you've always been hurting over trying to be the fullest expression of yourself without hurting me and 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 so I have to respect and honor that in the midst of this conversation where I'm uncomfortable I'm feeling hurt and twisted. Because now I'm being asked to nudge or to lean into discomfort in places that you've been leaning into discomfort for a long, long time. It was really eye-opening. So I feel like in some ways, maybe we're kind of having these conversations in a parallel uh, next to each other.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, And it's, it's, you know, as we were sitting with some friends last night talking about this exact same thing, they both mentioned that outside of a few friends, the conversation... It, it's not happening with other friends, and it's not happening um, in society, at least as far as I can see. And so, how do we how do we get to a healthier space, um, not only among each other with, with our partner, but with other human beings that we come in contact with? How do we how do we approach the conversation so that it becomes less taboo and less um, restricting?
0: Uh, first, I think you have to find other people who are willing to be vulnerable. Who are willing to be transparent to a certain extent, more so than the rest of society. None of us, none of us, fully show ourselves. Nobody ever sees the full person behind the curtain. Right. Um, but but we look for people who are safe. Safe means that they're not going to judge you. They're not going to shame and guilt you. And, and what I find happens is we've spent time, Mikkel, in uh, settings with friends of ours who are relatively transparent, who are authentic, who provide safe spaces what happens is that as everyone is having a collective conversation you now can really safely gauge that your that your thoughts your wants your needs your desires are not strange they're not out of place in almost every one of the couples that we hang out with one side feels just like me and the other side feels just like amanda and you realize like in almost every marriage especially in the awakened side where you start talking openly, we're all wrestling with this stuff. Almost every couple in in our friend circle is wrestling with these issues. And so then it becomes safe to talk about. And now the, the other spouse, the more conservative spouse can go like, oh, uh, this, this actually has differences. And these differences are very similar to my spouse. And, and then the more liberal spouse goes like, oh, this is how compromise looks. The, my side doesn't get everything it wants. It has, to, it has to find some type of middle space. It has to compromise too. Um, it, it, just, it just makes it easier when everybody's being open and honest about this thing, which seems to look very similar from couple to couple.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing this. But um, as we've had conversations with Kelsey's parents, they've even shifted some on their views of sex. And we had a conversation with them, which was kind of interesting, because, again, they're Kelsey's parents and not used to having conversations like this with her parents. But um, they mentioned to us that just even them being more open to communicating with each other has made their sex life better. And, and Even them just putting that out in the open um, to their kids, um, I think is really awesome. Um, And so for me, it encourages me to be more open in having conversations with my kids about what normal healthy sexuality looks like and even giving them permission to figure out who they are and how their bodies work and what feels good for them, which I think can be kind of tricky. Do you talk to your kids about sex?
0: Uh, We do. We we do. And we're pretty open with our kids. And, you know, again, we grew up in a system where, for instance, premarital sex was just an absolute no-no, came with tons of shame and guilt. And now I live in a world where I'm trying to help my kids make healthy choices, but I no longer want to say like, hey, doing this particular thing is absolutely bad. But instead, we try to couch it in ways like, look, if it's in this context, it certainly seems to be healthier than if it's in that context. And, and to help them start to sense like, okay, it's not bad, but but I do need to at least try to make sure that it's in a context that I see as healthy. And, I'm, and I hope my kids find uh, find it to be healthy when they find a long-term relationship, not necessarily marriage, but a long-term relationship. And, and they've had some time to kind of work out other things before they get to that point that sex isn't in the very beginning of the relationship. But again, I, I'm at the point now where it hurts and it scares the hell out of me. But I also, I also, my kids have seen me deconstruct the system I grew up in. They've seen our me and my wife deconstruct rules and constructs. And so the only way to be fair with them is to say, look, you, you get to navigate this world You get to make choices, but let's try to make them as healthy as possible.
1: Healthy and I think safe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what book it was, but you and I have talked about reasonable requests. Like there's this way that, I can't remember what it was, but the conversation was that when we have help, maybe it was Tim Burt and our interview with him, but when we have healthy conversations, we get to state our feelings and then we get to make reasonable requests. Uh, Any thoughts on, in negotiating, you talked about, like, you need to hear Kelsey and her feelings. She needs to hear you and your feelings. And then you both have to honor that the other is making a reasonable request. Uh, Any thoughts on those two things, feelings and reasonable request?
1: So I I think what it kind of boils down to for me, um, and this is something that Kelsey and I talked about last night, is... Um, I can, either of us can make a reasonable request, but whether or not that request is granted depends on the safety of the person who is most conservative. Um, again, because I, w- neither of us can do something, um, you know, let's say one of us pushes the boundary and makes the other person feel unsafe, um, that creates or brings about a whole nother set of um issues that then have to be resolved. And so we've decided amongst ourselves um, with each other. And again, I think that this is going to vary, and it depends on each couple. But for us, we've decided that whoever feels unsafe with whatever the request is, kind of gets to dictate whether or not something happens. And that doesn't mean that the door is forever closed. It means that we continue to have conversations and, and explore the reasons behind the, the, denial or, um, the restriction or, or whatever. Um, so that we, we can continue to navigate and maybe at some point that reasonable request will be granted. But again, it goes back to not shaming each other and not judging each other for the reasonable request and, um, continuing to explore, um, options that feel safer.
0: Right. So in your relationship, if, one partner feels deeply unsafe trying something, uh, exploring something, then the more liberal partner who feels safer or safe Mm -hmm. doing that activity has to um, stop shy of what they want and stay in line with the more conservative partner where they feel safe and secure
1: yeah, and I and for us, we've talked about this last night. It's because I deeply value and I respect, or vice versa, Kelsey deeply values and respects me and our relationship enough um, that 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 takes the priority over what other whatever else it is um, that we want to explore. Right. Not that that's good or bad. It's just for us, that's what we've decided is the healthiest option. Again, knowing that the reasonable request. Will probably present itself again, um, and there will be continued conversation.
0: Right, and what, and a reasonable request—it's reasonable on both sides, right? Like one side is saying, like, "Look, this is this is what my needs and wants are. It it doesn't it doesn't do something uh, illegal. It doesn't do something that puts anybody in danger." So it's reasonable from that standpoint. It's also reasonable in that the more conservative partner has the freedom to say, like, no. Mm-hmm. And, and so it works both ways. But there's also a hiccup. And this is what makes this shit so messy, is that if you have two humans, and one human wants their sexuality to look a certain way, and the other is suffocating in that space, that, that there has to be, again, both sides get to say, like, hey, I want this, and no, I won't do that. And unfortunately, especially when it comes to this topic, often one side has compromised too much or the other side would be um, giving up too much to, to move that far. And so you have two people who really have uh, really different needs. And if I'm just going to be honest, there are times where relationships, it's even if they too, the two people love each other, For one side to continue suffocating or for the other side to continue giving up too much of themselves, sometimes relationships do come to an end so that people can be their authentic self. Right. And that's what makes this shit so fucking messy.
1: It is. It is. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that they talk about in The Ethical Slut is that that exact thing, if you're feeling constantly stifled or suffocating, or like your needs aren't being met, and your partner is not willing to negotiate or compromise or move in any way, that maybe that's not the healthiest relationship. And um, they talk about how to navigate um, ending relationships and and moving on, um, which I think can be really difficult and really painful. Um, but again, like you mentioned, it's okay for us to be who we are and it's okay for our partner to be who they are. Um, we may not we just may not be the best people together.
0: Even even if we love each other.
1: Right. Even if we love each other.
0: Yeah. And that's what makes this so hard. Right. Um I I know like there's been there's been things like in my own marriage where, you know, I, I in my head I'm like, okay, this is really important. We we really have to have, you know, I really need my spouse to have a safe or positive view around this behavior or this need or this want. And I go into the conversation scared like hell that maybe she's going to say like, "No, I, I really want to stay and and I only feel safe and I only feel uh, okay way over here." And, and thank goodness my wife and I are have these open lines of communication where we talk about them. And, and it doesn't come without pain. There are times right. where Amanda's crying. There are times where I'm crying. There's times where we're both saying like, this is as far as I could go, or this is, I can't compromise any more than this. Um, it, it just, as we talk about with lots of these topics, it just gets super messy. And I want to honor that as people are trying to navigate this, uh, I, I think both sides for the most part are almost always trying to do this Trying to do this in ways that respect and love their partner, but but these conversations are tough.
1: Yeah, they are. They
0: are. I think sometimes the more conservative spouse feels like this conversation alone is almost meant to manipulate and to move the other person. Uh, your thoughts on, man, I, I guess any other advice you have on how to have these conversations in the healthiest way possible so that both sides feel respected and both sides feel like they have the power to say no. They don't have to compromise themselves while at the same time also understanding that you don't have a right to also impose that your relationship go on if you can't compromise and neither can your partner.
1: Gosh, I think that that's hard. Um, I would suggest that you take lots of time and not make any rash decisions, especially when there's lots of emotion um, being felt or expressed. And I would encourage um, exploring every avenue, every possible avenue before calling it quits. Um, I, For me, I have noticed that the more books I've read about different subjects and about sex itself and about communicating and um, taking ownership for your emotions has helped me be able to have these difficult conversations. Um, so... Again, just just explore every avenue. Um, but at some point, if it's not working, it's not working, and reach out to people that you love um, for support. And um, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Bill?
0: Um, I, I things that I've had to kind of learn. No one human completely fills the needs, wants, and desires of any other human. My wife, I don't. Fill her every void. I don't fill her every need and want and desire. So I, I have to get a little comfortable knowing that that my spouse has needs and wants that are better filled or filled altogether by by something else or or even by someone else. Like having a good friend or uh, going to work. Like my job fills certain needs that my wife can't fill. Like as soon as we realize that no other human being com- completes. Another human being, we can at least start to honor like, okay, how does one, because, and again, respecting that one's needs and wants are are real and valid. How can we make space for people different than us to have their needs filled when it's not me filling it? Um, and in sexuality, that becomes tricky because... Maybe masturbation feels like that's wrong, and yet that fills a need for that partner because the other spouse doesn't want to have sex that day or doesn't want to have it with the regularity. So it's a way to for that person to have their needs met. As soon as we understand we don't fill the other person's needs perfectly, and we honor that we love them and we want their needs and wants and desires filled, so long as we aren't hurt or damaged by it, it at least opens up a path I think to start having those conversations too.
1: Yeah. And for me, and I know for um, other women that I've talked to, we we grow up with this fairy tale idea, um, partly because of society and partly because of our religious system, that um, we're going to find some prince charming, he's going to sweep us off our feet, and every need and every want and every desire is going to be fulfilled by this other person. And so it can be really hard to let go of that ideal and um, especially when that's what we've expected. And for example, in my in my first marriage, I fulfilled a lot of those needs and wants and desires because that's what I thought was expected of me. Um and so just shifting that uh that mindset or or that expectation can be hard. I think that there has to be a grieving process to to let go of what that Ideal we've had in our mind and held on to for so long is that that we have to be open to allowing other people into those that space of connecting with us in an intimate way um, without our partner being you know expecting our partner to be the one that, that fulfills every need.
0: Yeah, and that's a big thing for me. You know, when we're in our friend groups, there there's a lot of intimacy. And, and I don't mean intimacy. Some listeners are going to listen and go like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Right. Like intimacy in terms of just people listening to you, people with their arm around your shoulder, people holding your hand. Um, I've had friends offer to give me a foot massage. Um, I've had friends who have asked if, you know, they could rub my shoulders. Like those intimate connections fill a need. And and sometimes our partner's having uh, not not willing to do that at that moment, which is also respected. And um Sometimes, like, having somebody different acknowledge and affirm you fills a need that even if your partner did that thing, it wouldn't fill the need in the same way.
1: Right. You posted an article on um, your Reddit post. You, you posted several links, and one of the ones that I was reading earlier talks about intimacy, and it talks about um, that it, it kind of the same thing. The wider our social circle, um, the better our chances of hoarding off obesity, high blood pressure, and other um, – chronic health conditions and it talks about um how do you, how do you navigate intimacy without it being something sexual um it says that that we typically expect more intimacy from a romantic partner than we do from a friend but that there can be there can be important components of intimacy from friends that help kind of just fill those voids and help us feel loved and accepted and, um, just boost our emotional health. Um, it's, it, all of the articles that you posted on the Reddit post are fascinating. And I would, um, direct our listeners to check those out if they want to dig deeper into how to negotiate and what intimacy looks like.
0: Yeah. And and I wanted to go back. You mentioned this exercise earlier, and there was another article that kind of lined out the same exercise. And here's what it said. It said to, to line out uh, four different categories. Category number one, what I know I like to do. These are the activities we are comfortable and which we enjoy doing. So both partners would label all the things they like to do, that they are absolutely certain that they enjoy. And whatever crossover there is, Those are the two things that they're already doing which feel safe and secure and both parties are getting enjoyment and fulfillment and affirmation from. The second one, what I'm willing to do for you. Some activities may not be all that inherently interesting to us, but we are willing to do them because our partner enjoys them. And sometimes our partner's pleasure makes an otherwise uninteresting activity much more exciting. Number three, what I might be willing to try. These are the activities that, under the right circumstances, we would consider trying. Sometimes our hesitation has to do with our own comfort about this desire, and sometimes we're concerned about how our partner would react to the suggestion. Number four, what I am not interested in trying, at least right now. These are activities that actively turn us off because they feel threatening, uncomfortable, or just weird while most of these activities probably won't evolve from a yuck to a yes for us perhaps some eventually will and so there's recognition like if two people who love each other make a list of these and put uh, all these various things into these categories now you now have a space to like sit down next to each other and compare your list and to start to say like okay here's here's where we here's where we're okay and we agree on on what the activity would be and what it would feel safe. Here's the things we're both willing to try. You know, how how interested are you in trying that? Well, I'm interested this much. Well, I'm interested only this much. At least the conversation now can begin. And and it also recognizes there in number four that the things you say like, no way, Jose, uh, that we're always moving and shifting. There are things, Mikkel, in terms of sexuality that I would not have dared to even think about uh, early in my life and now um i would at least put it on the list like uh, maybe like i might be willing to at least think about it or talk about it and entertain whether i could do that or not
1: yeah that's that's super interesting and i would i would agree the same for myself um and going back to um number 4 um further down in the article it talks about um making sure that your your request is direct um because And also just having an ability to handle rejection, um, because it says if you're direct, you tend to get more of what you want. And if there's something that you would like to try, but your partner isn't into, ask what it would take to make it more interesting or to help them feel more safe. Perhaps explain why it turns you on and why you would like to do it with them. And then um, it says if there's something that you would like to try, but your partner's not into it, explore if there are any other ways to have a similar experience. Or to get that same feeling from doing something else that feels more acceptable. So I think that like we have to give each other space to negotiate, and we have to be willing to talk about things that make us uncomfortable and um, explore all of that. Um, it says that happy couples find ways to ensure that both partners partners are getting enough of what they want without either individual feeling coerced. And I think that that's that's super important. Um, anytime we try and force another person. Um, we're, we're taking away their safety and it creates more, more problems.
0: Yeah. And for me, and this is kind of a, a final thought for me, because I think it, it puts a good uh, twist on kind of both sides feeling poked as these conversations happen. Uh, this last paragraph was something I wanted to make sure got said here. It says, within ethical and legal constraints, we all have the right to push for what we want from our partner. And to suffer the consequences for pushing too hard. Similarly, we also have the right to deny our partner's request and to suffer the consequences for shutting them down. But we need to remember that nothing in a relationship happens in a vacuum. It is influenced by what came before, as well as what else is going on in a relationship. So generosity, which I think is a crucial word in these conversations, so generosity can be rewarded, And bad behavior can be punished in more ways than one. Therefore, we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. What price am I willing to pay for this? Is it worth it? Then it's worth it. But since life and relationships involve compromise and sacrifice, we have to consider the potential ripple effects. In other words, if it's worth it, then it's worth it. Fine, but understand that nothing comes without consequences. And often... Pushing on things that we really don't think are super important may be way more risky. So be honest with your partner about how much you need that thing because in the end, you have no idea what ripples you're causing by pushing your partner to do things that that at this time don't interest them.
1: Yeah. And I I keep coming back to the thought, Bill, that there is no such thing as normal. Um, And so uh, I think that, a lot of times we have this image in our head of what we we think is normal, and anything outside of that is abnormal or um, not okay. And so, just you get to decide what feels normal for you, and then having a conversation with your partner about what feels normal for them, and then what feels normal for you together as a couple. Um, and and we have to let go of the ideal that every you know that a relationship is perfect. And that the other person is going to completely and totally fill our needs. um, I think we have to let go of a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and, and you point out normal, like there's so many different areas of this topic, sexuality. Um, I know people who are big into um, like, I don't want to say costume, but some kind of like wearing different clothing or role play, um, sex toys we mentioned earlier, we mentioned masturbation, we mentioned porn, we mentioned open marriages or some type of non-monogamy. Uh, there's various forms of uh, kind of standard practices out there in each of these subjects. There's, there's also fetishes, um, there is uh, bondage, uh, the s and type stuff. Uh, there's just, I mean, you name it, and there is a facet of that found within sexuality. I remember listening to a podcast maybe four years ago or so, and it was on kind of strange things that most of society would think were strange, and and but yet people have these uh, feelings or inclinations or whatnot. And one of them was a fetish, and it was people who were aroused and turned on by the popping of balloons. And in my head, I'm like, that's insane. That's crazy. That's, that's <laughs> crazy. But, but in our minds, like we all have something that's a little crazy. And, and we tend to like go justify our own crazy. And right. then when somebody else has it, we go like, oh, that's, that's weird. That's bad. Yeah. And so being with you and being with other friends of ours I'm with you. I'm getting out of the habit of going like, okay, most of society doesn't do that. I'm going to stop applying the label weird. And I'm going to start recognizing like, oh, we're different. And we were all, I should say we all were together, but you and I, our spouses and another couple were together. And the, the, one of the the, the people in that relationship, that couple that was with the four of us sat down uh, next to me and said, Bill, I want to tell you something. I want to, I'm really scared to tell you this. I'm scared to tell you this thing. And and this person then reveals to me what their fetish is. And and their fetish isn't it isn't my thing. It it doesn't interest me. But immediately what I went to was like, oh, we all have our own thing. Like I don't feel any shame towards you. I don't want to shame you. I don't I don't feel any judgment. I don't I don't feel anything out of place. Like you get to be you. And as long as you be you in ways that are ethical and healthy, like no skin off my back, I support you in in that. It's just yeah. not my thing. But I also want the same respect back. And and so we all have something when it comes to sex that our partner might find weird or strange or odd or um, out of place. And, and yet if we can all just honor like, look, we're all doing human the best we can and we can't help the things that turn us on. We can't help the things that we find sexy or arousing, and to just respect each other instead of labeling something as odd or weird.
1: Yeah, and and just in our conversation last night, we were talking about um, how we can't bring things that happened into things that happened in the past into the present. For example, I may have behaved a certain way a year ago, and um, over the course of a year, my thoughts and feelings about a certain thing have shifted and changed, and and part of that is because I've been willing to be curious rather than um completely shutting down an idea. Um, and and I think that um, we have to be willing to give our partner space to change and shift, and vice versa. Um, we need we also need to be willing to sh- change and shift, and just be open to uh, exploring at least through the lens of curiosity and just to have more understanding of something, not necessarily that, uh, we're going to change and do the thing that we, you know, previously said we would never do. Just be curious and, and be curious about why you feel what you feel, be curious about, um, why it is that you do or don't want a certain thing, um, and give, give each other space to, uh, to change,
0: yeah, and I know. In instances where my wife and I have talked openly about the differences in our needs and wants, and we've sought compromise, I know. Like we've, we've, you know, I'll just use one example and just kind of share here with the audience. One of the things that kind of turns me on is having sex in a public place, and the risk of getting caught, for instance. And so we were down in, uh, I think it was Vegas. And we were in uh, a casino, uh, around a casino, and there you are know, people around. And my wife and I are just making love in our vehicle <sighs> while there is somebody about 10 foot away who could have seen us. We don't know if they did or not. They could have. And like there can be a lot of fun and adventure if, if you're able to respect each other. And to find out what the other person's needs and wants are and can find ways to compromise. And again, don't give up too much of yourself. By all means, don't do that. But, but if there's any way to be a little uncomfortable and to see if you can have some fun with your spouse, it also helps them to feel like you take their, their needs and wants seriously and value them. And, and the other way around, when somebody says, like, this is too far, unless it's something you absolutely need and can't get away from, um, then you also need to compromise as well and be respectful of them.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say, Bill, please do not ever have sex in a casino because that place is full of germs and that is gross.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't do it in the casino. That's okay, pretty good. nasty. Oh. Uh, this was outside the casino in our own vehicle. Yeah. Um, which, you know, which has germs too, but <laughs> where can you go that there aren't germs?
1: Um, less yeah, germs in a car. So I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, than a
0: casino. I'm with you. <laughs> No, we didn't make love on the craps table. Though I do like to play craps. <laughs> I just—was there any other like parts of sexuality that we didn't hit? I just—I want everybody to understand like all the facets.
1: Yeah, let me let me pull it up really quick. I've got it right here. So you talk about equal sex drive. Um, I think we we've covered that in general. Um,
0: who wants to give? Who wants to receive? Mm-hmm. You know, those things play a part it could be little things like nudity. I mean, just nudity alone can be controversial in some of these relationships.
1: Right. Right. I think, I think, yeah, I, I like for Kelsey and I, um, masturbation is something that I still struggle with. It's not something that's easy for me to talk about. It's not something that is easy for me to do. Um, and then same with pornography. It's, and it's, it's trying to undo all the years of programming. Um, And so how do you, let's talk about that. Like, how do you undo the years of programming? Um, How do you deconstruct all the cultural and societal um, constraints that have been placed on you and that you've adopted um, in regards to things that may be considered taboo?
0: So for me, Mikkel, it's been a matter of leaning into not holding those constructs up as absolutes and then trying Subtle things, soft shifts, and then finding that me and my partner enjoy those things. And then once you start to realize, like, oh, our sex becomes better when the two of us lean a little bit into some of these things we thought had to be a certain way and then we did them a little differently. And when we have a good time and our relationship becomes better, then that positive feedback loop starts and and suddenly you go like okay well then let's let's talk about more serious things um how much of me can i be and and the more difficult things you get to if you've built a pattern of leaning in and continual conversation and respect towards each other and evaluating what's fun and what isn't then i think it makes a safe space for you to start to let some of those constructs go
1: So one, what is it that causes you to want to change the construct? Um, And then two, um, what if you and your partner try something and it's not what you think it is? Do you revisit that later and try it again? Or is it like completely off the table? And then let's talk about two, like, let's say, let's say I fuck up and I hurt Kelsey Because, you know, we we previously agreed on something, um, but then after that, whatever it is happens, she feels hurt or vice versa. How do you navigate conversations after something when you've both agreed on something being acceptable?
0: So let's go to the first one, which is how do you uh, initiate this leaning into challenging the constructs you've been taught? Right. And I'll use an easy one, which is oral sex. Oral sex was taught to you and me by our faith community that it was a bad thing. And there were subtle teachings, and there were also some that were very implicit and explicit that imposed that, that, that certain practices in a sexual relationship were unholy. And so my wife and I, when we got married, we were both aware that our religious system taught, at least in places, that oral sex was bad we still gave it a shot and we had a shitload of fun doing it and so the moment we realized like oh that was fucking amazing then so, we we felt safe to challenge that construct
1: so do you think that it was amazing because it was taboo
0: no i think it was amazing because i fucking felt good <laughs> again because it was taboo uh, i think that no, there can I, be yes a and certain no. yeah
1: i think that there's a certain like thrill that you get from doing something that is considered
0: taboo. Like having sex in a casino parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it is taboo and part of it is things feel good. Sure. And and maybe sometimes being taboo makes it feel better. Um, Our brains are deeply hardwired with visual stimulation, with certain physical stimulation, certain sound stimulation. So there are things that turn us on beyond just whether the nerve endings on our genitals feel good. Right. So the first one for me was when you start to challenge a few things and you realize like, oh, that was actually really good for us. And we had a really good experience. And our relationship became stronger and better and more enjoyable and more fulfilling. Then we were willing to challenge other constructs. Now to your second question, when you mess up, like my wife and I talk about this all the time, like we're humans in all aspects of our life. We make mistakes. We mess up. And I don't know how you do being a human without making mistakes. And for some people, some of those mistakes, and probably for most people, some of those mistakes are going to be in the arena of sexuality. I think we have to grant that we humans do make mistakes. We have to forgive. And we have to learn to make space for people to change and to recognize the, the hurt they caused or the damage they did and the unhealthiness of their choices and for them to learn from those and to give people second chances and to extend forgiveness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it can sometimes take a long time um, for the healing to take place. And like you said, I think it involves continued conversation and giving each other space and um, showing up for each other in ways that help each other be safe and feel safe.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. Um, I'll I'll tell you, I don't know if you have other things to say, but I've really, this has been probably my favorite conversation that the two of us have had. And I think we covered difficult stuff. And I think we covered stuff that I almost have, I think I maybe never heard almost like nowhere, like there's no conversation occurring out loud. Like you can go read a book, like you said, The Ethical Slut, and you can read a book here or there, or you can read a blog post here or there. But rarely, if ever, have I ever heard two people have a conversation about this stuff.
1: Yeah, you're right, and and I think that it's super important. One, to have a conversation with your significant other, and two, to have a conversation with kids, it, just exploring about, just just being honest about sex and exploring sexuality and and how to do that safely and, and in a healthy way. Um, I will reference. There is, um, I tried to get her on the show, but I've not heard back from her. Um, I emailed a couple of weeks ago, but maybe at some point we have, um, there's a, there's a sex therapist who has um, a blog and she's got several episodes um, on how to discuss sex and masturbation and what healthy sexuality looks like for kids. Um, So I'll, I'll send you the link and maybe we put that up on the, on the website, but I will preface it by saying that she, as far as I have an understanding she is part of a religious system, but she seems to be very nuanced um and and willing to have conversations about what normal healthy sexuality looks like yeah we should have more of these because yeah. I think that it's good for for us in our relationships and it's important that we um, help teach our kids how how to have conversations like this
0: yeah awesome 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 I Man, th- th- again, I just enjoyed this conversation. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. And I'm excited to see what the feedback is on uh, on the things that we talked about and, and how this plays out in various couples and how they negotiate. I thought we also did a good job of we didn't get into the specifics much, which I think is great because I think every couple, their needs and wants are going to be different than what me and Amanda's are, or what you and Kelsey's are. and
1: Absolutely. Staying,
0: yeah, staying high level and just talking about the – the messiness of it generally I think does a better does serves a better purpose to it anyway.
1: Sure. And I, I am by no means an expert. And um I I would just preface this by saying like you guys you and your partner get to figure out what works for you and use any and every available resource to figure that process out.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Are you ready for the closing song? Yeah, what is it? So the closing song, I, I started off one of my favorite songs is Marcy Playground Sex and Candy, but Maroon 5 did a redo of it. And so the closing song today is going to be Maroon 5, Sex and Candy.
1: Oh, that one.
0: Yeah, I think it's a sexy song. So if people want to make love at the end of our conversation, this would be a great (laughs) song to do it to. Thanks for listening to the Almost Awakened podcast. Uh I'm Bill.
1: I'm Mikhail, and we would love it if you subscribed, uh, leave us a review and share with those that you care about.
0: Yeah, get the conversation going, help others to find the podcast. And uh, and if and if you so are willing and able, would you make a donation by visiting almostawakened.org and clicking the donate button?